I exist, therefore I matter. I exist, therefore I matter. Okay? These are, these are important principles to understand. If I, if I recognize that I exist, my existence is the proof that I matter. Because if I didn't matter, I wouldn't exist. Then I can just live life and be like, okay, I'm here for something. Now, when we start trying to identify the why, we're going to get caught up in, in the world and we're going to start thinking we're not living our purpose. Mm. So, the shift I'm moving... Oh, here's the other thing about the why. The why often leads us to feeling purposeful. But really what that is actually making us feel is it's putting us on the Cartman drama triangle. It's making me feel like a hero. I'm a hero. My why is to help men heal. Now, what am I asking for then? If I'm asking to be the hero, the one who comes in and rescues these men, the rescuer, what am I calling in? The victim. And if I'm calling in a victim, then I'm calling in a perpetrator. So basically what I'm doing is I'm stepping on this Cartman drama triangle and I'm perpetuating all this suffering. Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of Going Out, Looking In, the podcast about the big questions of life, personal growth and spirituality. My name is Maxi, I'm your host and today we're exploring the world of yoga, embodiment, comfort, stability and fluidity and much more. <laughs> and you may think, wow, that's a exciting mix of topics and sure it is. This is going out looking in. What do you expect? <laughs> Today I'm speaking with Anton Mackey. Anton and I connected at Sacred Sons Convergence 8 in Los Angeles in October. And I was struck from the moment I saw Anton and his element teaching and guiding through movement. And with how much ease and deep experience he facilitated those movement classes was something that I was really struck by and therefore I decided to have him on the podcast also after finding out about his yogic background and the thing about Anton is that his take on yogic philosophies and ancient wisdom of those very very old modalities is very unique so he blends those ancient techniques with very modern day wisdom and the latest research around what is good for our body and physicality and that is something that i was very interested in exploring with this conversation anton so therefore is a yoga teacher for more than 50 years he has his own yoga studio in scottsdale arizona he has his own yoga teacher training he has his own mindset coaching program he's a devoted son father and husband and also a men's work facilitator for sacred sons so with all that being said we explored a variety of topics such as we always do and i'm not going to go into every single one of them but basically we also and i feel like this is something that really is important we talk about comfort 
and the comfort crisis and why having everything at your disposal at all times it's not always a good thing quite obviously we explored the topic of yoga and anton's take on that um, as well as the concept of what he says and refers to as stability in life but also in movement and in your body versus fluidity and both is both are important right so it's a dance between those two energies where also then the masculine the feminine comes into play so i hope this got you all excited it certainly did for me and uh <laughs> with all that being said i wish you as always beautiful insights much love from my heart to yours with this end episode and anton mackie brother Anton mm, it's an honor um, I was really looking forward to speaking with you uh, since saw, seeing you at Convergence 8 and seeing you in the sense of experiencing you like feeling you um, mm. what you say but also what you do and what you offer feeling that energy was a movement practice that you that you guided us men through um, in the morning, very early morning, <coughs> quite chilly, and we were all gathered on the field, and you guided us through some, some of those beautiful embodiment practices. And after that, I, I went up to you and told you, you know, like, hey, man, I just wanted to quickly reach out and say that I'm, like, genuinely impressed by the by the ease in which you instructed us with you like, I really had a feeling that you or like it, it clearly showed that you haven't been doing that for the first time and that you're like very well versed with guiding people to a place but also within themselves um, where they can find in that case movement and strength and power and intention within themselves that then will sort of radiate out and really you know transpire to 300 men and that was that was very beautiful so that was basically the the the, the first domino that fell with my connection to um to you and then obviously i did my homework now and i <laughs> um yeah you know looked at your stuff and everything and given the background that i sort of like moving in um also considering myself a yogi not like much of a physical yogi but more like a, on the on the theoretical aspect of it and the theory behind it and the and the texts and everything i just wanted to um start off with your mantra you know so there is like something that you run on your website it's i own my power i command my presence i surrender with acceptance and I know who I am. So yes. who are you, Anton? Who am I? Well, 
I'm a divine, magical, sovereign, and free creator of my reality, embodying patience, presence, and peace. I'm humble, grateful, powerful. I'm empowered, connected, and whole. And I'm living an intentional and abundant life in optimal health, in integrity, with grace, harmony, and ease. So that comes from <clears throat> some of the work I help other people do, which is create an I am statement, a power statement. Um, at, beyond that, beyond that intro of who I'm calling myself to be, the standard I'm setting for who I am day in and day out, um, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm an only child, so not a brother, other, other than to the thousands of men I've come in contact with through Sacred Sons. I'm a yoga teacher, and that kind of leads to uh, maybe the ease that you saw within me in guiding movement. The, the beautiful thing is it's evolved in the sense that I've been guiding movement um, probably since I was 20 years old. I got my degree in exercise science and kinesiology um, and then got right into personal training and fitness training and sports conditioning training, working with athletes. Um, and then that progressed and I found yoga. And it was like a progression in the sense that yoga, and I actually remember the moment, August 14th, 2008 specifically, I was in a yoga class and we were doing this big side body stretch and it hit me. It was like, oh, this is what I meant to be doing. Combining, uniting the movement practice that I understand of the movement of the body, the anatomy, the physiology, the biomechanics with this other spiritual thing I've been seeking. This connection to self and all other through movement. That's when it hit and that's what shot me into this yoga uh, career that I've been, I've been having for the past 15 years of teaching yoga and I've had many wonderful opportunities to teach at festivals and around the country and around the globe for fest, um, retreats and whatnot and at other studios. And, and, and then it, I found another piece that came through um, through a Sacred Sons brother named Pasha. He brought through something called Functional Patterns. And Functional Patterns was actually kind of anti-yoga movement. Um, but I wasn't going to accept that. I was going to accept these incredible movements and biomechanic uh, principles and I was going to find a way to bring that into the yoga because I didn't want to lose that. And what I found is there's a way then, so it was like the next level. It was the fitness training, the sports conditioning, the yoga, and then this new thing that I'm bringing forth, which is like, um, I don't know if I have a name for it, but finding a way to have a functional movement practice that incorporates the yoga philosophy, like you said, of connecting to mind, body, and spirit in a way that gets people to be more embodied and empowered, empowered and embodied. Now, all the while this happening, so I think this new transition also came around the time where I started working with Kevin Walton and his Conscious Creatorhood program. So Kevin Walton, Source Radiance, um, that's what elevated me in all aspects of my life. Taking ownership and responsibility of who I am, uh, finding guiding principles and values, and learning some very important tools to help me recognize how I'm operating and where I've been operating from in my past. And then be able to or integrate that into the physical movement practices of embodiment and empowerment. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. And that's kind of what I'm bringing to what I brought to uh, C8. And then also had the, the privilege of, of leading a team. And, and I just got off a weekend um, at, here in Arizona at an Embody Masculine Experience, co uh, leading a team. Uh, team Firehawk is my team right now, the, inspired by the hawk and the, the birds of prey that my father uh, instilled in me the, the passion for, for birds of prey, for raptors, and alongside Andrew Huvar um, and some other great brothers. So that's where I'm at, feeling very purposeful right now, very purposeful, 
recognizing, even though a lot of times when I go to these events, um, there's this, I don't want to go because as I mentioned, I'm a father and that is my major role right now. I've got three young boys, uh, seven, six and eight months. And my role, I want to be here with them always. And I know how hard it is for them to leave. And I know how hard it is for my wife when I'm gone, um, for her to take up the slack. And I have so much just gratitude for her for doing that. And maybe that's, that's an, an invite invitation for me to show that gratitude a little bit more to her. Um, but I have this doubt of like, nah, I just don't want to go. I'd rather be at home. My purpose is to be at home, to be a dad. And then I show up at these events, and the next thing you know, I'm in the process with a man, standing in front of a man, watching him start to access parts of himself. And I'm just like, oh, yeah, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. This is, this is my purpose as well as being a father and a husband. And, but this right here, it matters. And, um, yeah, so that's what I'm coming off of, coming off with that energy of witnessing men open to to seeing themselves to change to growth um to discomfort and i love that the discomfort piece because that's another thing i like to play with is discomfort um especially with the cold we can get into that too mm. so yeah they're, they're, that's who i am currently and i'm sure that will change and evolve over time yeah thank you it's a um it's a life well lived until today and yeah many many facets and different boxes that you open there um given the time i feel already like somewhat of a um and i need to sort of like find the different ones that i want to open up a little bit more um sure. because <coughs> i would love to speak on on all of them <laughs> but yeah we wouldn't we would be here for for eternity and beyond so I, yeah, given, given, given my curiosity of the subject and also because that's like, I, I'm assuming like a big part of like your actual day to day, I would love to speak a little bit about yoga, um, with you and ask you like, wh what, what is yoga for you? What is yoga for me? Yoga is, I mean, getting past the, the definitions of yoke and union um, for me anymore because I teach more than I practice I teach more than I practice and I, I know a lot of yoga teachers who disagree with that concept um, that the practice should always be the most important part but for me when I teach I'm so plugged in I'm it's my zone of genius and I'm in flow state so what the yoga allows for me is to to take all the busyness and the chatter and the fear and the worry and all the stuff in my life and kind of just move it into a channel to being fully present with what I'm doing and as a way to offer others a space to feel some of the things that I get to feel in my life like confidence, um, empowerment, strength. So I use the yoga practice for me, the yoga practice is a place and a space to help empower others because it has empowered myself. And it's a practice for me that goes beyond the physical, but is the, the physical becomes the vessel. And then it's another practice that I feel like reminds me to breathe, the importance of breathing. And I think it's become so second nature 
I forget people don't know how to breathe because this yoga practice has just become so embedded into everything I do. When I'm driving, I'm doing yoga because I'm taking those deep breaths. Right, so, yeah, I guess that's a, a roundabout way of saying what yoga is to me currently. It's mm. been different things over time, I, I think. For me, at first, it was a place where I could go because I was in a very, very uh, stressful situation when I found yoga, and that's why I found yoga. A friend recommended, hey, try this yoga class because I know you're stressed and I, can't, I couldn't sleep. And I did this one class, and I just felt amazing, and I just couldn't get enough of it. Because it was, it was basically, I hate to say saving me. It was an important tool to help me get through a very challenging part of my life. What was it exactly about yoga that did that? So I had mentioned uh, I took a side body stretch, just reaching over. And it was like, I'm here. I was fully there in my body. And my mind was in my body, not somewhere else. I was just there. Yeah, I think that was it. It brought me there, into the present moment. Mm. And maybe it was the first time that I was like fully in it. And, and in it for me. And then it became, there were moments where it became very showy for me because I had a, a very advanced physical practice and I wanted to be seen. And then I wanted to be a good yoga teacher and I wanted people to like me. And I've gone through that whole arc. Um, but there were definitely moments early on where it was like, oh, this is just for me and I can just be here. <clears throat> so it's like a tool for presence. Yeah, that's a great one. There you go. Mm. <laughs> How to take 500 words and put them into <laughs> a, one sentence. It's a tool for presence. There mm. we go. Thank you for that, Maxi. Yeah, well... I'll be using that. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's like you found what so many people are looking for. Like in, individually, it may differ, you know, what it is, but I'm, I get it. I get it. And... Um, to even dig a little bit deeper into like yogic philosophy here. So we're talking about Hatha yoga, the path of like physical yoga and asanas that you're referring mm -hmm. to, right? Um, yeah, what about the, the other parts of yoga? So, um, you know, meditation. Sure, the eight limbs. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, you know, as a yoga, I teach yoga teachers and I have a couple of yoga teacher training programs that I am the lead teacher for. And one of the things that's very important for me is to, to get them to understand, like, the yoga asana is just one of the eight limbs of yoga. Um, and, for, and, and at this point in my life, where it's so important for me to be in integrity, the yamas and the niyamas mm. have become such an important element. And how to integrate those into a Western way of living. And not make... I, and I, I like this idea of like, yes, how, did it, how does it work personally for me, but not trying to manipulate it in a way that fits my habits and my behaviors and my patterns so I don't have to change. Mm -hmm. Because, right, I can be like, oh, yeah, non-harming. Well, that just means, because I eat meat. I'm a meat eater. I'm very, I'm, I'm proud of it. Uh, I'm a conscious meat eater um, for a lot of different reasons, primarily scientific reasons and the way my body feels. And, you know, the first, the first limb of yoga, ahimsa, is non-harming. Non so right away, if you're, if you're looking at the yogic pathway, I instantly am breaking one of those, the yamas, by harming, by being part of harming. However, well, this is a side note because it's important to address, being a vegan or vegetarian, to, per, to think that you're not harming is just absolutely foolish. 
the amount, especially if you're doing a conventional vegan diet or vegetarian diet where you're not growing your own food, the amount of animals and insects that are killed, the way the earth is being treated because of big ag, it's worse than the cow farts that people are talking about. Now, that's not to say the way that conventional farming is done is, is horrific as well. I'm talking about regenerative farming, and we spend a lot of our time, energy, and money in accessing these quality foods. That's a whole side note. But the point is, the non-harming, if you're going to eat food unless you are growing it in your backyard, you're harming. And just read a study uh, called Kiss the Earth from the book Kiss the Earth. Plants can feel the energy of humans. They respond to the energy and emotions of humans. So I'm sorry, if you really get that deep into it, we're actually harming a plant anytime we pick it and mm. uproot it from its earth. It feels it. Everything feels. Um, so there we go. There, there, there's that. But yes, the, the, the yamas and the niyamas, these ways of living. Um, and then I think about it, well, that's, that's me creating a standard and how am I going to be in integrity as a person and as a human, as a yoga teacher. And, and have I been out of integrity? Of course, as a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. My ego was deeply rooted into being a yoga teacher for many, many years. And I'm sure there's still aspects of it that are still caught and twisted. However, there's a different, I'm a different man. I'm a different yoga teacher today than I was, especially, I would say, five years ago when this major transition happened. And a lot of that, I, again, I attribute to working with Kevin Walton and Conscious Creatorhood. It has just become a new way of living. So yoga, the yoga lifestyle started to integrate into who I was. Prior to that, I did some studies in Buddhism and that was incredibly helpful on my path and it felt good at the time. Um, and then I found the yoga, kind of overlap. There was yoga, Buddhism, um, and then my next step of involve, uh, evolving in conscious development was the conscious creatorhood. And they've all become who, how I'm living my life. Mm. Yeah, spicy. I like it. I like it. You know, it's um, it's a hat that's that that you know many people of today's health movement are just like wearing, and you know, it's inherently. I always feel like that those great philosophies, you know, there's so much truth in many of them. Uh, objective truth, you know, so just when you look at it, it's just like it makes absolutely perfect sense, you know, no, no harming. All right. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, all right. And then there is all, all of the transfer into, into my personal reality, reality, my individual circumstances and in the flaws and in the application to my situation, there lies also my authenticity, I feel like. So, I got very rigid. I'm uh, like I got very rigid in my practice and in my in applying those theoretical constructs to my life to the point where um, I feel like I yeah I lost also the 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 individual essence that I bring. So and I was just replacing that because of a lack of self worth also and self-acceptance and also just being lost so i needed that those very pragmatic easy answers and five-step programs that mm. you know in some aspects yoga is definitely offering 
uh, as you know, many many of those beautiful philosophies are are doing. Um, but you know, I really feel like, and we've pointed that out in the podcast many times. You know, it's like not you know, life doesn't happen in the black and white. It's the fifty shades of gray in between. And that's where I feel really th that it's getting interesting. So a question that ties into that that I wanted to speak to you about is, um, given like your extensive background in working with, I'm assuming also a lot of teachers and people who are practicing yoga and have been doing and in be being immersed in that philosophy, what do you feel like is something that is one of the most like misunderstood things about yoga that you know? We'll talk first of all the physical because I love talking about this. Yoga is not stretching. <laughs> and in fact, I think that's where things get wrong. And, and I do focus a lot on the physical because that's the first thing that usually brings people to the practice. They usually come for the physical. Now, it wasn't right. for me. That's not why I came to it, but most people. Now, the sad thing is much of the yoga, physical yoga practice is doing more harm than good. Now, I had to come, I had to, come to amends with that and like really sit with it and be like, oh, damn. All these yoga poses I've been teaching with an anatomical understanding, actually I was missing some pieces and they're actually doing more harm to people in the long run than good. Now, why are people continuing to do it? Well, because they follow the guru mentality. So it was passed down and they think, they think these yoga poses were passed down thousands of years ago, but really the physical yoga practice early 20th century is when it started to get big. Right? And then we have the Ashtanga yoga practice that came in in the 1940s or 1950s. It's not, it's not some ancient system. The ancient system is the eight limbs right? found in the different texts. The ancient system of Ashtanga is not that ancient. And it was taught in a way for a certain type of people, primarily prepubescent boys, Indian boys, who, one, haven't had testosterone run through their veins and their body a whole lot, who are typically a smaller frame-structured people, Right? Who, so this design of creating these yoga poses in the physical practice wasn't designed for the everyday person or for women for that matter, who are the majority of people doing yoga in the West these days. Um, so much of these yoga poses created by someone who didn't have a clue about biomechanics. A lot of these things are actually doing more harm than good. So I'm on a mission to how can I take a traditional practice the philosophy, the idea, the understanding, but then integrate a deeper understanding of the biomechanics, anatomy, and physiology. And then create a space for people to build more stability, not flexibility. So if you take my class, it's a very physically active, challenging class that is focused primarily on stability, not flexibility. Because mm. I look at the world and I see what's missing from most people, and it's stability. It's calm. And I see stability as, and if you look at it from a physical standpoint, stability is the ability to maintain integrity of a joint, whether in movement or in stillness. But I want to go beyond that because I see the world that's an unstable world where people are hypersensitive, emotional, don't know what to do with what they're feeling, react to everything, um, are messy in all the ways. So I want to create stability, the ability for us to find greater calm in chaos. Mm. So stability, the ability to find calm no matter what's going on. Now this comes from emotional stability too, but if my body, because we have body mechanics and body language, but if my body's in a position, say my pelvis is in a position where it's tilted forward because of a crescent lunge that everyone does, 
what's actually happening in my pelvis? Well, if we look at the energetics of the practice, which to me are like by far the most important parts, the energetics. And if you look at the chakra system, the basic chakra system, seven chakras of the body, the second chakra, right, sacral chakra in the pelvis, which represents what? Our emotions, water element. And if my pelvis is a bowl, but every time I come into a yoga pose, uh, let's give you some sort of, my pelvis tilts forward, I'm losing the energy. All the energy mm. is spilling out of my, my body. I look at it like this. If you have a, and it's called an anterior pelvic tilt, where your pelvis tilts forward, which if you go into a warrior one or high crescent lunge, high lunge, with one leg in extension, one leg behind us, the pelvis will naturally tilt forward. Now here's where the, the chain of problems happen. Energetically, what I'm doing is I'm taking the bowl that holds the water element of my emotions and I'm dumping it on the floor. And that was me, that was my story. If I felt something, everyone knew about it. This is why I stopped drinking. Because alcohol would just elevate my expression of my emotion, good, bad, and everything in between. Right, because no emotion has a quality of good or bad. It's just an emotion, but it would turn into behaviors that were could then lead to good or bad results. Now, with the pelvis tilting forward, all that water spilling out, it it creates a look in the body, an overly expressed body, mm. which shows me where someone's lacking the ability to command their emotions, lack of emotional stability. Conversely, if the pelvis tilts the other way and dumps under, and we have that kind of rounded back, tucked tailbone, dropped butt look, we're looking at someone who looks very aloof and disconnected from their emotions. Someone who doesn't express, both of which are too far on the ends of the polarity and the spectrum and are unhealthy. We want to be able to access our emotions and feel them fully, but use them productively. And I can't do that if I'm holding my emotions back or I'm not touching and tapping into my emotions, but I also can't do it if I'm just, whoa, here I am joy all the time, here I am sadness all the time, here I am anger all the time. So I look at the body and how can I help them take better command of their physical structure because the physical is a mirror of the mental and the emotional. So if we start in the body, which is the easiest thing to grasp and understand for most people, it starts to translate into the emotional body and then the mental and the, and the, the emotional is the most important to me. Mm. So if you take a look at most yoga poses, I, I'll show you what's going on in someone's body. But you go into a yoga pose and I'll tell you what's happening in your life. And mostly mm -hmm. what I'm seeing is instability and people wanting to go deeper into yoga poses and go into all the back bends. Well, guess what? You bend enough, what's going to happen? You're going to break. So it's not about bending more. It's about holding with stability and integrity. Oh, and when I started to become more integrity with who I'm asking myself to be and my behaviors and my actions, this is when my practice and the way I teach started to shift. Because mm. the importance of being in integrity for me is what I'm going to teach and share. For the longest time I was teaching all the arm balances and all the inversions because I was a master at that. I was so good at it. It was fun. It was playful. And it was showy and it was an expressive. And now yeah. I'm recognizing <clears throat> I can be seen without being showy. Mm. And actually, I don't need to be seen. If I see myself, then it doesn't matter who sees me. And that's the new space I'm moving into as well. To yeah. know thyself, my wife says all the time, to know thyself. And that's what we are on a, a 
constantly the work me and my wife are doing and constantly like, what's this for me? I'm agitated by what you just did. What is that for me? Why, why is that agitating me? So if I can know myself, that's the key. The yoga practice gets us to know ourselves better. Yeah, I love that. I mean, you know, I'm going to say the word, you know, embodiment. You know, everybody talks about embodiment. <laughs> and, you know, the road from here to here, you know, and get out of the head and into the body and nervous system regulation and f feeling what needs to be felt. And there's a lot of stuff in, in, in the community, I feel like, which is based on rooting, grounding, finding stability. And out of, yeah, personal curiosity, I want to ask you this, <clears throat> or sh quickly share something and then I put it in a question. So I feel like the pendulum swings a little bit from one side to the other. So <laughs> speaking about flexibility and stability, all right? So I totally get it. And um, that's why, why I was sharing, like holding onto a construct sometimes gives me stability, right? or to a practice, to some sort of theory, some five steps that I need to follow in order to achieve X, Y, and Z. Z. So I do that, and then I feel I'm getting too rigid. So there is not, there's no movement at all, no flexibility at all anymore, and I can also not respond. I'm just reacting based on something I've read or something that I've studied. So there is no flexibility. There is no dynamic. It's just completely static. Whereas on the other side, I feel like, um, you know, and, and we're talking about life, you know, and not talking about one specific posture, but just how, how do you navigate life, you know? So, and then when I'm feeling, when I'm getting, when I'm letting go too much, I'm getting, I'm losing that. I'm losing my, my integrity. I'm losing the spine, you know? I'm, lo I'm, I'm losing myself, essentially. I'm just yeah, like, yeah. you know, oh, I'm going with the flow, you know? Oh, let's see what the day brings. Okay, well, so the pendulum went from one side to the other way too quickly. And so basically, and it's literally a question I wrote down in the preparation for this. How do you, how do we stay tender and soft and don't become too stiff and rigid. <laughs> um, given also what you just shared. Oh, I'm so excited. Like I just want to talk, 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 talk. Because this is this is basically the principle of what I teach. Right. Hands down, this is it. Right. And I'll get there to the ultimate of like how do we do it. And, and uh, uh, here it goes. So first and foremost, uh, my yoga class and the way I teach has two principles. It's stability first and foremost so there's no like which comes first stability or flexibility um i don't believe that it's it's not a chicken and the egg it's okay. very clearly you got to have the stability the structure right and i always thought about this because i love working with the masculine and the feminine and i'll guide us into a little bit more uh specifics with that the stability is the stage the fluidity or the flexibility is the dance if my stage is weak and crumbly and I try to dance on it, the dance is going to be a disaster. But if there's a really strong structure and stage to dance on, the dance can be beautiful. What are we looking at here? We're looking at masculine and feminine. The masculine is the strong, stable stage. The feminine is the fluid, beautiful dance. Right? So, two principles. We have stability precedes 
fluidity, but together the marriage is flow. And I teach a flow class. And if you come to my yoga class, you're going to get like that real specific instruction on where to place things and the why. And you're going to move like a dance on your mat. And it's always been that way for me. But now I'm a little bit more honed in on the stability piece, which then creates that structure so then I can say, you know what, everyone? Just flow. And they have a strong, stable stance and the proper alignment so that they can get their body from point A to point Z in a flow sequence without hurting anything, without harming anything, with, it, with all the while creating strength and grace. So you, whatever words you want to give it, I call it fluidity or stability and fluidity. You got strength, you got grace. In yoga, what do they call it? Do you remember the, the yoga terms? Didam and sukham. Steadiness and ease. So it's already built into the yoga practice. I'm not bringing it in. They're giving it, the practice is giving it to me and I'm bringing it through. Now, what is this really? It's a principle that I've learned in conscious creatorhood and it's a principle I've been practicing, learning to integrate my whole life, which is command surrender. Once you go back to it, it's masculine and feminine. The command, not control. Control tries to take over and change something because of feeling discomfort. Command is this commanding presence, commanding the energy, right? It's part of my mantra. Okay? Mm -hmm. And then the surrender also is a beautiful thing because it's not submitting. It's not giving in. It's the willfulness to say, I let go. But those two things we're looking for not to be in balance. Because what does balance imply? Balance implies stagnance. If I'm balancing, I'm holding and I'm not moving and evolving. But as a human, my purpose is to move, evolve, and change. So then the key word is harmony. Mm. How do I find harmony between stability and fluidity? Because sometimes my feminine just needs to be there and I need to feel and I need to go and let go and just be. And then sometimes the masculine needs to step in and says, and we're going to create a little bit more structure around this. Right. And it's the harmony between the two. I have chosen an embodiment on this planet as the masculine. I chose a male body. We're not going to even get into all that, the genders talk. But I chose a male body. I have a penis. My chosen embodiment is masculine. And I recognize there is a deep connection to my feminine within me as well. What guides me is my masculine, and it allows for a space of my feminine to blossom and open. The issue that got me caught up and kind of threw me off and took me a long time was that my feminine was overtaking much of my behavior most of the time. Even though I'm a masculine-led presence, I didn't know how to connect to that. I, never was, I was never given the tools. I never felt it. And now, I've, now that I feel like a man, because I never did, 40 years of my life didn't feel like a man. Now I feel like what it means to be a man. With that... I can still tap into my feminine very easily, and I do it often, especially within my emotions in regards to my children. However, in this 30 years before, I had no clue what it meant. So I went to what was most comfortable for me, the feminine. So of course I was gravitated toward yoga practice, a place where I could express my feminine, a place where I was around only women for the most part. Why? I felt safe there. Why did I feel safe there? Because around other men, I didn't feel safe. Was it because of them? No, it's because I didn't know what it meant to be a man within myself. So therefore, being in the presence of other men triggered me to feel less than. But when I was around women, oh, I felt like a man. 
And that's a whole side piece, right? That just got into me personally, but that's where I'm at now. And, and, and now I crave being around men. Oh my God. I remember mm. the first time it happened, I was at a Sacred Sons event. And I remember we were going on a hike and I looked around and I was like, whoa, this is the first time in my life where I'd rather be around men than women. And that was so big for me to be like, yes, I'm safe. I realized at that point I felt safe and I felt enough. And that took years. It took me tiptoeing in and out of Sacred Sons men work for many years. I've been there from the beginning. I watched the whole thing happen since before it was called Sacred Sons. And I've been invited in from the beginning. But I would only put one foot in. And I would take a foot out. Because I would start to get triggered by these other men that showed me that I still didn't feel like a man within myself. And I only felt like a man because I was offered the space to lead yoga. So if you didn't know, at Convergences, Sacred Sons events, at the very beginning, I was the morning practice. It was Anton yoga. And then it little led into some more yoga. Andrew Huvar brought in some kundalini. And then the practices started evolving. So in those spaces, I'm the man leading a bunch of men into their feminine. So I felt strong and embodied, and here I am and purposeful. And then the yoga class would end, and we'd go out and do all these other things that were masculine around all these embodied men who could sing and hold space. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> so I made excuses of why I wasn't going to Sacred Sons events. Oh, I got my kids. I'm too busy. I got my yoga teaching. Really, it was what I was saying is I don't feel safe around other men because I don't feel like a man. So I'll go somewhere where I do feel like a man. Oh, around a bunch of kids, babies around my wife and around female yoga students. Oh, now I feel like a man and I can, I can be myself. And then right. back to Kevin Walton again, working with Kevin Walton, for meeting my wife. My wife um, allows me, she holds a space for me to step into the masculine. She blossoms into the feminine in a way that I've never experienced. So that allowed me to step into it. That was the first invitation into really doing it. Um, and then Sacred Sons showed me where I wasn't. Um, so those were the spaces where I could really step in, but then working with Kevin Walton too, and just getting to like know me better and to take more ownership for what I'm feeling. And that's big too, um, a piece that I wanted to bring through it. And I'm, I'm so proud of you for using how I authentically feel, authentically me, this concept of my truth. It's such bullshit. There's no such thing as your truth and my truth. There's a, the, the, what Kevin calls the capital T. Truth is universal. It's uncompromising. Right? So it, it, if it's true, it's true for both you and me. So then what have I been experiencing with this? I'm living my truth of just being connected to my feminine. What I was really actually expressing is, this is how I honestly feel right now. <laughs> right now. Because guess what? I'm guessing in five years when I'm 50 years old, I'm going to feel different about things. So it's honestly just what I honestly feel and what I currently believe. But it's not my truth. It's not my truth. Truth is never changing. It's uncompromising. Mm. So I love this idea of like recognizing this is how I honestly feel right now. It's real for me, but it's not truth. I feel like right now you're disregarding me and you're not giving me attention. I feel like right now that you don't like me. I feel th those are just thoughts. They're not truths. Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah, that reminds me of David Data's work when he mm. talks about purpose as well, that mm. it's unwavering. It's coming from a deeper place within that is not being accessed by the mind, for sure not, because that is ever-changing and has some female qualities to it, which 
in and of itself has beauty in it as well. However, when we're speaking about purpose, <clears throat> and let's let's go there um, because we yeah. talked about it previously in the conversation <clears throat> prior to the recording, um, the why and the how. <laughs> Just read uh, Victor Frankl, um, Men's Search for Meaning. Read this way of the superior man. You know, so I'm 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 deep deep within that right now, and you know, so I'm like, okay, you better write it down. What's the why, bro? What's the why? <laughs> okay, why do I get up in the morning? And, and unless I figure that out and I can say it in one sentence, I'm lost. <laughs> so that was a little bit of the narrative, right? Um, mm. And as Nietzsche also says, right? So you know, for the man who knows the why, he can bear any almost he he can bear almost any how, right? That's that's roughly what what he said. And Viktor Frankl's story about like living in a concentration camp and. Yeah finding meaning in that it's just like once he figured out why he could bear the how of the situation so that's a little bit of the theory behind that and i you know and out of that grew logotherapy and his whole approach of like finding meaning in what you're doing and and all of that so i believe that there is something there um and then there is the then there is the Okay, so what does that mean for me <laughs> again, you know? And so I actually wanted to ask you, one of the questions, what's your why? Mm, but, you know, as you've spoken about it in, you know, in the previous conversation that we quickly have before the recording, uh, let's just open up the space and have you share a little bit what your take on that whole thing is. <laughs> First and foremost, the foundational understanding that I exist, therefore I matter. I exist, therefore I matter. Okay, these are these are important principles to understand. If I if I recognize that I exist, my existence is the proof that I matter. Because if I didn't matter, I wouldn't exist. Then I can just live life and be like, okay, I'm here for something. Now, when we start trying to identify the why, we're going to get caught up in in the world and we're going to start thinking we're not living our purpose. Mm. So the shift I'm moving. Oh, here's the other thing about the why the why often leads us to feeling purposeful, but really what that is actually making us feel is it's putting us on the Cartman drama triangle. It's making me feel like a hero. I'm a hero. My why is to help men heal. Now, what am I asking for then? If I'm asking to be the hero, the one who comes in and rescues these men, the rescuer, what am I calling in? The victim. And if I'm calling in a victim, then I'm calling in a perpetrator. So basically what I'm doing is I'm stepping on this Cartman drama triangle and I'm perpetuating all this suffering. Psst. Hey, this is just going to be a very brief reminder. If you enjoyed this episode thus far, you can do me an enormous favor and gift me 15 seconds of your valuable time. Go to your podcast app right now. And if you enjoyed it, give Going Out Looking in a five-star rating. And while you're at it, hit that follow button and that bell icon to be notified whenever a new episode is being uploaded. Thank you so much for your support. And let's go straight into the episode. Because if I'm the hero, I need someone to rescue and if I think that my purpose is to be a hero, I'm already in misalignment. But if my purpose is just to show up fully as my most authentic self, 
in every situation, then I'm not asking for there to be a victim and a perpetrator. And I don't have to be the rescuer because that makes, look at the moment I'm like, I'm here to save somebody. And I thought I was here to do that. Um, I'm now saying that I'm, I'm better than somebody. I'm above somebody. I'm putting someone below me just by saying that right now. Oh, I need to go help this man because this man can't do it on his own. But that's not true. He can. Yet he's calling on for some assistance and I'll be here for that. Because if I show up authentically me and the authentic version of me is to be very like cut and dry and like to see through and cut through and to offer a reflection, which is simply just a perception and a perspective, then, then I'm becoming helpful in a way that is not about me wanting to be the hero to save the day, to heal. When people say they're healers, oh, no, 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 no. I can't heal anybody. Healing comes from the desire to want to change within ourselves. It's the only thing that can heal anybody is the desire for things to shift and change within ourselves. I can, I can be there to offer reflection and space and support and love, but I can't heal anybody. So being on that Dharma or the Cartman drama triangle is very problematic. So the moment I step back and be like, Ooh, am I trying to save? And then I do that because I want to feel like I matter. Well, fuck, I matter already. I exist, therefore I matter. And if I just take that as my simple foundation for everything. While I'm here, and currently, I don't know why I'm sitting in this room. Okay, well, I'm going to sit in this room with as much intention as possible. What does it mean to sit in this room? Okay, I'm, I'm here to feel presence or maybe I'm in a room full of other men and I'm not the one that has the leader tile then what is what is what's my purpose in that room what if my purpose is to be the one that's just fully present what if my purpose is to take a deep breath so someone else can remember to breathe so then it's our how not the why how am I showing up in every moment that could then inspire somebody which then makes me purposeful right how am I doing any and everything, because how I do anything is how I do everything. I'm not the one that came up with that, we know. Right, right. So how am I doing these things? What's my how? Here's the deal. This, why is this so big for me? Because my how fucking sucks sometimes with my wife. My how has got so much sharpening to do because I have a tone. I have a facial expression. I have something that the how isn't coming, getting through to help create greater communication, love, and connection with my wife at times. Or my how is triggering one of my sons to get angry. So when I ask them to pick up their toys, I can say, pick up your toys now. Or why aren't the toys picked up? Or I can say, hey bud, can you help support us here and pick up that toy? Oh, does that toy, need, does that toy belong right there? So it's all about the how. How am I saying it? And my house sucks sometimes, man. That yeah. is like, there it is. And this is really highlighting to me where my sharpening needs to be done is my how. And people think it is like the tone I take, the expression on my face. So you know what I do for this? Where my work is and I do it over and over and over and I've probably done it a thousand times and I still need to do a thousand more is the cold plunge. Because in that cold plunge, I'm practicing how to stay present when I'm feeling something uncomfortable. And I'll tell you what makes me really uncomfortable right now, toys on the floor 
dishes stacked up, <laughs> disorder and chaos in my house, and that makes me really uncomfortable. So sitting in the cold goes, <clears throat> I can sit through this. And my how, okay, get clear with your facial expression, Anton. Practice having a calm face even though you're feeling cold and your feet hurt. Well, I perceive my feet to hurt because they're not hurt. They're actually being helped. How can I practice that? How can I then sharpen my how? I feel like that's exactly the point, and we're com coming back to what we discussed earlier. That's where the foundation, where, the, where, where you need to build a stage. Mm. Um, otherwise, and honestly, just like having a sort of like a self-reflection moment here, that's what this work with men and with Sacred Sons is doing for me. It's building the stage. Hmm. It's reminding me of something that is, it's also funny, it's not coming, it's not like an external thing that's coming to me. I feel like it's me remembering what's already have, what's already has been there all this time. Sure. And I simply have not seen it. So, Having said that, and you touching on that briefly, and me initiating my first men's circle and all of that, and talk, we're talking a lot about masculinity. What is that? I'm getting some questions from listeners. I'm getting some questions from the feminine. So, and you, you were literally speaking on that word to word. So I was wanting to ask you, so what is it, Anton? What, 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 is it, what does it mean to be a man? <laughs> Currently, what I feel right now, <laughs> knowing that there's this definition is, is, I'm only going to limit it by saying what I feel about it. Um, for me, and I discovered this a week and a half ago, my entire family was sick, including myself. We all had the thing, the head cold. Everyone was feeling bad. Things couldn't get done. And I wanted to not do anything. I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want to have to go teach a yoga class. I didn't want to... Um, cook dinner. I didn't, I didn't want to do all the things that must be done. And this goes back to what Vince Matoska talked about. Uncle talks about this all the time. A man, for me, currently, what it means to be a man is to do what must be done. It's to do what must be done. And I, I had to do what must be done. I had to cook the meals. They had to eat. I, ha I, had, I had to go to work at times when I wasn't sick to get other people sick because <clears throat> I have to pay the bills. I had to take out the trash because who else was going to do it? And to me, to be a man is to be the one to do it when no one else will. And this is important. This is part of the practices that I teach in my coaching. First, you have to know what you're dedicated to. Or first, you, what, you, what are you devoted to most? What matters most to you in the world? To me, it's my family. Right? That's what matters most to me in the world. And my health. Because without my health, I don't have my family. Right? So those are the things that matter most to me. Then what I'm dedicated to is those things. The dedication is where I make my commitments. And me honoring my commitments and the follow-through and doing what must be done is my discipline. So I have my devotion, my dedication, and my discipline. And this is what's driving me as a man right now. So a man, I think has those three qualities, has those three things in the back of his mind always. What am I devoted to? What am I dedicated to? What am I committing to? And how am I following through? What's my discipline? And to me, currently, that's my definition, my understanding for myself, and what I'm here to 
maybe show others is about those things. To do what must be done. To do what must be done. Mm. And I know there's more to it. But right now, that's where I'm at with it. It reminds me of uh, The Comfort Crisis. No, me and my wife love that book. We talk about it all the time. Audio and physical hands-on book. Yep. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. I, I feel like it's um, absolutely important. Um, and it's literally something we have to learn. <laughs> as, as, as yeah, can I share a piece about this yeah, with the comfort? Yeah, please. This yeah. came through to me um, while I was in a cold plunge for myself. So comfort, the crisis is comfort and convenience. Okay, now, as they talk about in that book, we are genetically designed. Our ancestors, right, were programmed. The DNA of human, humans in our ancestors was to, to deal with hard shit. All the weather conditions, hunting, finding food, building shelter, none of that is easy. So to survive and to eventually thrive, what did they have to do? They had to be willing to face discomfort and things were not convenient for them food just didn't pop up at me it did kind of pop up out of the ground but they had to go find it there were animals there right so what's happened in our western society and for most of us someone like me who i live in privilege right i'm a privileged man now i have everything at my fingertips i if i wanted to i could stay on this couch and get things done on a computer so I have comfort and I have convenience. And when I'm hungry, guess what? Like they say in the book, uh, I think it came from this book, but most people after the age of 30 never experience the discomfort of actually being hungry. Mm. Oh, I'm hungry. No, 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 that's not what hunger is. I want to fulfill probably an emotion. I want want to deal with an emotion or I'm bored or something and I go get food because food's there and available to me, right? So comfort and convenience have basically ruined what our DNA is meant to do. Now here's the thing, the DNA didn't change. So within us is programmed to deal with difficult, hard, challenging things, right? So our DNA is like, um, you're not building your shelter, you're not hunting your food, you're not dealing with cold because you have the perfect temperature with my air conditioning and heater. So what am I gonna do to get you to do what you're meant to do? Oh, I got it. I'm gonna create some sort of story, lie, stress, fear, worry, anxiety in your head to make it so you can deal with hard things. Oh, we're gonna create this story that you're not enough. We're gonna create a worry that this or that may happen so that I can then do what I'm meant to do as a human, which is deal with discomfort. So most of our stress and all the stuff we're creating is because our bodies are like, um, make me do something hard, please. So what I'm doing, I'm holding people in goddess pose for anywhere from one to five minutes in a yoga class. And I'm ha- guiding people into cold plunge. And I'm doing wall sits at home. And I'm doing push-ups until I can't anymore. And I'm holding on a bar until my body gives out. And I'm sitting and watching my son when he's going through an anger fit and I'm just sitting with it because that's probably one of the most uncomfortable things for me. And that's me. (sighs) Because what what do I want to do? I want to slam my fist on the ground and yell and scream because that's what's comfortable for me because that gets the thing out instead of just being with it. 
So what are we doing to challenge ourselves, to get uncomfortable? Because if we don't do it for ourselves, the universe and our stupid minds will do it for us. Mm. I've never looked at it that way. That that might be one of the origins of the ever so neurotic mind. I, I truly believe it is the origin of the neurotic mind. Comfort and convenience. And I love that. Give me that. Thank you for giving me that term. The neurotic mind. And that's what's happened. We've created a neurotic mind. Our ancestors did not have that. Because they were too busy. Not busyness is a good thing. Because we don't want to go there. But mm. they were too occupied with doing hard things to survive so that we could thrive. Yeah. And... Like let's 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 quickly paint the picture here. Like if we just followed and go down that road of even more instant gratification, even more accessibility, even more like e ease of av availability of everything and e like every single need is taken care of that you can think of. Like where does that lead us to? That we just laying around somewhere and ordering things that i don't know are, are being delivered with a drone or like where where's this going because the narrative behind all of these enhancements of life i feel like is always coming down to w use this tool spend the money for this service so that you have more time to do what truly matters, right? That's sort of like the narrative. So you have more time so you can do what you really want to be doing. And I feel like the things sometimes that I really want to be doing, especially when I'm looking at work, is work that is so going against the narrative. It's like, yeah, I could make a li living that is quite easy and it's purely remote. I can work from wherever I want. It's all no strings attached. It's all digital. And I'm like, I don't want that. <laughs> I want, I don't know. I want to feel my body at, in, at night when I'm going to sleep. I want to feel like I've done something. I want to feel that and not close a device and feel like and ask myself, like, what was that? Mm. Like, did I, did I just achieve something? Like, you know? And that is feeding into my, and I put that label on it, into my masculine, you know, I feel like, you know, I want to be useful. I'm like, I want to build something, you know, and potentially with those two, you know, I want to mm. feel something and I want to be just needed. And all of that, I don't know, like that puffiness is making it, quite hard sometimes to feel that way and to feel that real and we artificially have to introduce it into our lives right that's why we all go to the gym and do all these things because our work lives have been getting us away from that physical work right mm -hmm. i mean you mm -hmm. know if i told my granddad hey hey granddad want to go to the gym <laughs> probably say fuck off dude man <laughs> <laughs> my job is the gym yeah yeah um yeah, I got a little bit of a, uh, into a into a thing there, but like, yeah, I'm I'm, yeah, I'm passionate about that as well because I really feel like it's it's dangerous if we expose ourselves to too much comfort. For sure, for sure. And where does it, where does it lead to? I don't know. 
given the time, Anton, um, there's much more things that we uh, could can, discuss. Can I talk one one thing about comfort? It's just it's such an important yeah, piece yeah, yeah, I please, want to mention. Please. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, please. So um, there's two generating appeals that guide how we live. Okay, it's safety and significance. Safety, um, realizing that um, I don't have to try and survive from the saber-toothed tiger. No one's going to come and steal my family from me. And, and you know, there are, there are some things we can talk about. But safety, this feeling safe in the world, like I have a place to be. But more so, and the other part is significance. Do I feel like I matter? Remember, that goes back to the I exist, therefore I matter. But if I don't feel like I matter... I don't feel significant, I will seek validation. I will look outside of myself because I don't see it within me. And I think that I need something. So then I'll tell my partner, what I need from you is this. Or I'll say, what I need to feel comfortable is this. Or what I need to think that I'm enough of a yoga teacher is for someone to come up to me after yoga class and say, hey, great class. That's seeking validation because I don't feel it for myself. But the moment I'm like, yo, that was a really bomb class I just taught, I don't care who comes up to me and says anything because I know it. When I feel love for myself, I don't need to go to my partner and be like, you're not giving me enough attention. I need more attention because I feel, mm, I feel significant. I feel loved already because I have it for myself. That's it, big. If I don't feel safe as a person, wherever, whatever the circumstance may be, I will seek comfort. So the reason people are seeking comfort in the world is because they don't feel safe. Mm. And look what happened Four years ago, they hit, they hit our, both of our, our strings of safety and significance. If you don't put a, a paper piece of cloth on your face, if you don't take this shot, if you don't stay six feet away, you're not going to be valued by society. So you're not worthy. You're not a good person. And if you don't feel like you're a good person already, you've got to do those things so other people th think you're a good person, which we call virtue signaling which basically they hit us significance. You're not significant if you don't help because you want to kill grandparents. You want to kill old people. You're not significant. So what they do, they followed because they didn't feel significant. They will look for validation. Look at me, I'm wearing my mask, I got the shot, I'm doing the thing, I keep the distance, I didn't go out. Boom, they got us there. Then they also said, you're not safe. This thing's gonna kill everyone you know and you're gonna be the killer. If you do it, you're gonna be the killer and, and everyone's gonna die and we're super unsafe and you gotta keep away from everybody. They hit us, with the, they, they knew it. Safety and significance. But if I'm like, you know what? I got a strong immune system. Um, my body knows what to do inherently. It's just another bit of illness. Yes, did it hurt people? I'm not denying that. I know, I've, I know people who, who died from, from the COVID thing. But look, if I feel safe, I'm not going to let that story happen so the thing's not going to come at me. And if I feel significant, I'm not going to have to tell you what you should do. And I'm not going to show you with my sticker and my t-shirt and my Instagram posts with my mask on. Because I feel like a good person already. I feel like I'm a good person and I'm really doing what's right. I don't need to do those things. But that's it. So the comfort is coming from not feeling safe. Not feeling mm -hmm. safe. And where did that come from? Well, probably somewhere in childhood where we didn't feel safe. Well, guess what? We can change that story any moment. We can change our story, our belief. We can change our mind at any time. Never too early. It's never too late. All it takes is a couple deep breaths. And that goes back to everything that I, I get to help guide. Yoga mm. practice, breathing. Cold plunge, breathing. Myofascial release. You got to breathe through that shit. Mm. And if I take a couple breaths, I can choose not to yell. I can choose not to scream. I can choose not to flip off the car that cuts me off. But I need that breath first. 
two, three fire answers and qu questions um, before we before you head out and I Kay. go about my my day, uh, my evening. Um, what are you proud of, Anton? I'm proud of the man I am today. And I think that's a reflection of what I've chosen to change, do, and become. And I'm just proud to be a dad. That's a, a dad and, and a husband and a committed husband. That's mm. what I'm most proud of. Who has made a difference in your life and why? So many people. Oh my God. Everyone I've met. And the people that stand out the most are my wife, Amy. Meeting her, uh, she's the most influential person in my life. And then I'll say a couple other people. Kevin Walton, definitely um, a teacher, and a guy named Max. Max was a body worker who introduced me to so much about what's going on in the world, uncovered so many things for me. Um, I would say those are probably the three most influential people in my life that have helped guide me on my path. And last but not least, what do we need more of in our world? Presence. Mm. And stability. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Anton. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate yeah. you deeply. Thanks, man. It's been, it's been awesome. Thank you for letting me share. Thank you for sharing yourself and for what you're doing here because this is purposeful. Mmm. Because someone out there is hearing the words you're saying or I'm saying or the other guests you're saying and you're a purpose and when you're doing it it's how you do it the way you do it you do it with such grace you do it with such ease um, so yeah your how is, is really impressive bro appreciate that deeply thank you yeah. I received that hey beautiful listener you have made it all the way through and I want to take a moment to say thank you and you can do me an enormous favor. It's all I'm going to ever ask from you. And that is to go to your podcast app right now. And if you enjoyed the episode, give the podcast a five-star rating. If you want to write one-two words or sentences, even more powerful, even better. Um, thank you yeah, already in advance. And also while you're at it, just click on that follow button on that bell notification so that you never miss a new episode. All of that just contributes and it helps me to increase the reach of the podcast. That means I can attract bigger guests and that means I can deliver more powerful episodes. So it's a tiny thing. I'm only going to ask this little favor of you ever, not more, 10, 15 seconds of your time, a couple of clicks. That's it makes a huge difference for me as a creator. So thank you so much. <laughs>